Hi Pleasure Seekers, two content warnings for you just before we start this episode. There is brief reference to sexual assault and there's also some quite graphic discussions about FGM. Okay Pleasure Seekers, this episode of Project Pleasure contains language of a sexual nature. So, strap in. Project Pleasure. Hi, I'm Frankie Wells. I'm Anishka Tate. And this is Project Pleasure, the podcast that puts the pleasure back into safe sex and healthy relationships. <laughs> I don't know why I've just realised how P that is to say. Like, the pleasure, the podcast, the, the, like, the pleasure. I've, I've been saying this for two years and I've only just realised. And this is our penultimate, penultimate. Project Pleasure. Pleasure. No, mine's not as good. Mine's Podcast. not. Mine's not as poppy. Um, it's the penultimate episode of the of series two. Today, though, we are talking about body image and masturbation, and most importantly, the kind of relationships we have with our bodies and with very specific parts of our bodies. So, we are going to talk to Laura Dodsworth, Ooh. who is a photographer who you've, you've probably been made aware of over the last few months. She's a photographer <laughs> who's created a series of books looking at people's relationships with specific body parts, so in particular, breasts, vulvas and penises. We've also got Africa Brooke, creator of The Cherry Revolution, a space she uses in particular to explore her relationship with her genitals. Plus, we have everyone's best friends, Honey Ross and Grace Campbell from The Pink Protest, who are going to tell us all about their Girls Wank 2 movement. Because we do... And it's great. (laughs) So here's what's to come. So I got this mirror, like a salon paddle mirror, and I would just sit and look at myself. And it was very awkward to begin with. I just didn't like my body. And I realized just how much I was holding a lot of shame and hate for it. And then I went home and masturbated for the first time. And then I was like, I'm a freak, I'm disgusting. And I kept doing it, but I kept, I always had, it always was sort of paralleled with this horrible feeling of guilt. Men seem to feel like they need to be enough about being tall enough and big enough and hung enough and rich enough. On the left side of my thigh, like here, literally if I'm having sex and you so much as like touch or tickle it, I come. You know, if we're having sex and I arch my body in a certain way, knowing that I'm not really feeling (laughs) anything, like actually, who is this for? So many women will know the feeling where you are with a man, you're looking into each other's eyes, having sex, and then you think, how do I look through his eyes? We've got so many brilliant chats to get to on this episode. So let's try and keep this relatively short and sweet. But Frankie, I do really want to check in with you on something. Yes. So right back at the beginning of this series on our penises and masculinity episode, we both admitted that we had put ourselves on a bit of a porn ban. I completely forgot about this. Kind of in a in the hope of reconnecting with our bodies and not being on kind of autopilot and yeah. stuff. So I just wanted to, because we genuinely oh, haven't spoken about this. We how, haven't how is that going Someone for you? Someone to the podcast, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? I completely forgot about this because I've not been watching it. Yeah. Not been watching it at all. Not fussed by it. I saw, like, okay, confession time. Do you follow some Twitter accounts that are a bit sexy? Oh, yeah. And they have, like, sexy gifts on them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw some of those and I was like, don't need you sexy gifts because I have now found audio porn. You still get all the, like, mmms and ahs but you're not looking at someone fake their face or put in a performance you're feeling that 
image in your mind and what you think sexy and it kind of put the power back into what I actually find sexy instead of being told you will find this non-hairy person mm. sexy and their face will be very bronzed so has your masturbation changed as a result of that like physically or mentally or anything mentally definitely a little bit longer, if anything. Um, yeah. As in your sessions are a My bit longer. My sessions are a little bit longer. And I enjoy because, that. Because it's not that autopilot thing of like, oh, yeah, porn, I oh, wasn't orgasm. Enjo- I'm enjoying them more because I wasn't yeah. enjoying it. I was just like, let's get this over. Yeah, yeah, done yeah. With, you know what I mean? And I yeah. want bish, bash, bosh. Yeah. I'll be in the car in 15. Everyone leave me alone. <laughs> um, how about you? How about you? Tell me about your porn van. Yeah, no, I'm kind of similar. I kind of Have you ha- dipped a toe back in? No, I, I, but I'm kind of the same. Like I hadn't even remembered that that was a thing I was doing because I've been so not bothered. And I feel like I definitely have become more in tune with my body again. Ooh. Like actually appreciating my body for what it can do because I am having to focus on physical sensations because there isn't like all these visual or audio cues to kind of distract you or whatever. Touch is the only sense that I can rely on and that's not to say that you know visuals or audio are are bad at all it's more just that for me personally I just felt like I needed to change it's more about that change you have to rediscover and I'm sure when I come back to visual porn or audio porn or whatever I'll rediscover it in a new way and it'll be like a new thing it's that checking in thing one other thing I want to check in in with you on is so long-time listeners of the podcast will remember Ruby from our series one porn episode and she runs life drawing classes called body love sketch club with the idea being that kind of being naked and having other people draw the beauty that they see in you will make you appreciate your own beauty and we went to one of her classes recently. Wow, wow, we were. How how did you feel? No, you go first. You tell me. Okay. How how did I feel? You, I should, I should tell you. Quite, you're, you've always been very comfortable naked. So well, how yeah. was it being naked in front of all these people that you strangers strangers that you weren't wooing? <laughs> the the other time, the day. Yeah. <laughs> no, do you know, you're, no, you're completely right. I am happiest and most body confident when I'm naked. I'm really not that confident in clothes, actually. But then, obviously, my main concern was, oh crap, I can't draw. That was <laughs> honestly more I'm concerning than drawer. anything to do with the nakedness. But do you know what? It's interesting because I honestly had one of the most glorious days of my life. It was absolutely incredible like I wasn't I wasn't going to need convincing of the benefits of being Mm. naked right but even I couldn't have imagined quite how warm and silly and vulnerable and strong it made me feel being surrounded by all these different naked bodies and I do think there's something in understanding what other people see in you because we don't tell people the wonderful things about them like that's just not you don't you know especially when they're vulnerable yes exactly Mm. exactly and and one of the wonderful woman who drew me she was called sam and she was an artist so she drew me very well great yeah she she made us look fabulous but she she drew my boobs really cute and perky and i literally said to her i was like oh my god thanks for drawing my boobs so nice like that's not how i see them at all but thanks and she was like i I, I literally just drew what's in front of me and i was like oh flattering you love this is what they look like but it's yeah exactly (laughs) like it's true you don't you don't see what other people (laughs) see and i think there's something really lovely in that yeah i'm not so confident uh, yeah <laughs> in in the buff as i'll say um so i went very much feeling that i was going to keep all of my clothes on and if i took any part of my clothes on uh, took my clothes off, i would keep bra and pants on 
that didn't happen. No. Because I feel like when I got there, I was like looking around and I was like, oh my God, here we bloody go. I'm definitely, I can't do this. I can't. And when I say it like, not everyone in the room was a model. They were normal looking people of so many different ages. Shapes, sizes. It was amazing. Everyone was there. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to do this. This is wild. Um, (laughs) But we just had a great talk about the benefits of being naked. P.S. There's loads. But yeah, it came to the moment and Anushka had been before me. And, and I don't know, like, I it was weird. Like, I don't know, Anushka, because we are close. I was like, oh, do I, do I want to see Anushka's boobs? <laughs> but I didn't, all of a sudden, you like, you were posing and I wasn't looking. I can't even remember what your boobs looked yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wasn't looking at you being like, there is Anushka's tits. I was yeah. like, look at Anushka's amazing body. And I was drawing you and I was looking at different parts and like the mm. interesting parts to draw. And so when it came to me... That's what it was like. And I was just like, I just, I was like, I'm just going to do it. So I took my bra off, I left my pants on and a neckerchief, why not? <laughs> Honestly, it looked so good. Because, but you did, I, I felt that there was almost a moment for you where you would, it was quite quick. It was it just was like, like just sod it. And yeah. you like, it was almost like you whipped your clothes off before your mind had time to catch yeah. up and be like, what are you doing? Please don't do this. Do you and know what I mean? It was weird because like the windows were open, the sun was shining through, there was a little breeze. And I just <laughs> felt like an overwhelming sense of joy. Like, I felt free and I felt like I was like giggly but not like a oh my god I can't believe this I was just like I am so happy in this moment like and and it's almost just like it's not even complete elation it's just complete contentedness so content it's like it's quite like a still yeah oh yeah Yeah. everyone's naked I'm naked naked. and it's almost by the by yeah and one thing I really loved about the class was first of all how normalised everyone's bodies were that it wasn't a sexual thing Mm. like you know, we over-sexualise our bodies so much, but it wasn't that. Props to Rosie and Ruby. They've created something really special. And I can't, I honestly can't wait to go again. So, enough about us. Yeah. Let's get on with the show. I go to briefing. Giving us a good debriefing on bodies is someone who knows many bodies very intimately. It's photographer, artist, author, storyteller, Laura Dodsworth. Hello. Hello. So... For those who have been living under a rock, um, <laughs> can you explain a little bit about your three books and what they're about? Okay, so the first one's called Bare Reality, and I photographed and interviewed 100 women about their breasts. I chose breasts because I wanted to take a very intimate view into women's lives, but I had a very strong feeling that breasts have been stolen from us, repackaged and sold back to us as something very two-dimensional, very sexualized. Really what that project was about for me as the artist was trying to work out what it means to be a woman on my own terms. And the the way I wanted to do that was to interview other women about their lives as women and use breasts as a catalyst to open up stories. I finished that and I thought, amazing, I know women really well. I'm so comfortable in my own skin as a woman and I don't know men very well. And I realised bare reality had kind of been a response to men, to men in my life, specific men in my life, and to patriarchy and male stories. And I, I just thought, I don't, I don't know men very well. And it was the biggest shock to me that I needed to recreate the project with men. So I photographed and interviewed 100 men about their penises for manhood, the bare reality. And then after that, I decided I needed to photograph and interview women about their vulvas and their vaginas. I'd been described as a champion for men and penises. And I just thought, as a real card-carrying feminist, I didn't know how I'd acquired that accolade. And I hadn't done the same for women. 
And for me, in a way, that was it was the most unexpected part of the trilogy, but the best part, the most powerful. So taking it back to the beginning of the books, had you always had like an interest in bodies, genitals, or was it like a moment where you were like, hang on a minute, I'm going to do this book? I think if I look back, I've always been interested in sexuality and in secret stories and things that are hidden away. I can see that now in in books and films I've consumed, um, interest in art. But it was a complete surprise to me. I was a normal jobbing photographer. You know, client turns up, gives me money, asks me to photograph something, I do it, job done. But this idea just wouldn't go away. I felt like it was an idea that kidnapped me, dragged me into the bushes and wouldn't let me go till I did it. I think I had a lot of very deep issues to explore in my identity as a woman. Mm. I think, yeah, it was probably my first proper, my first proper big, long form Mm. artwork. It took ages. It took two years to find and photograph the 100 women. No, it's the first thing I'd ever done like that. Yeah. And it's interesting because you're talking about the photography there, but actually so much of the books are made up of stories, written Mm. written stories or stories that have been told to you by these people who you happen to photograph almost. Yeah. What were some of the recurring themes that came up in terms of how people were feeling about the body parts that you had just taken these beautiful images of? Yeah, no, well, well spotted, because I think that the books get a lot of noise and attention because of the photography. Mm. Because 100 pairs of breasts, 100 penises, 100 vulvas, that's quite noisy imagery, although they're done in a way that's not salacious, it's not gratuitous. But really those photographs are like visual signposts to take you through stories that are really about really powerful themes about pol- you know the politics of um, shame and mm. anxiety but also celebration and sexuality there are ways to talk about unique male and female experiences so motherhood fatherhood sex relationships body image how we see the world and how the world sees us so the the pictures the body parts are really important I mean honestly I found it incredibly useful and fascinating to see 100 pairs of breasts and 100 vulvas because I have a kind of idea of where I fit in on this spectrum of normal and we don't we don't really see normal imagery do we so that that is important but really it's about the stories I think when I flick through the books I kind of myself have gone on a journey of like becoming comfortable with everyone else's vulva and I was wondering if that was a theme for the people being photographed of like when they first were approached by the idea, first taking their clothes off, the first couple of clicks of the camera, how were their relationships with their vulvas changing as you took the photographs? Yeah, I think it was quite different for different people. Just to mention they didn't take off all their clothes, yeah. only the bottom part, just, yeah. gonna, <laughs> just so you yeah. know. I think it does change your relationship with your body to go through that process yeah. of being photographed. And there's something quite meta about it. Like, if you look at yourself with a mirror, which is actually really awkward, isn't it? But, you know, hopefully we've all done it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. let's all so, put our hands up Yeah, 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 done <laughs> it. Um, then to see the photograph on the back of a camera is clearer and easier, but then to see it printed in a book is another thing. It's like this different level of metacognition of yourself. I think women have... So some women have found it quite interesting to see themselves on a page with other women. So there were some women who were really familiar with how they looked. And when I showed them how they look on the back of their camera, it was just quite nice or they described it as pretty. There were women who'd never looked at themselves before. I mean, there was one woman who said she took part because she wanted to know what she looked like. But you know what? That fed into something else. And it fed into something I felt really strongly, that women were taking part because the reveal is to ourselves. That's really interesting because I know you've kind of said before that with vulvas, no other body part kind of inspires love and hate, fear and lust, worship and desecration kind of in the same way and pleasure and pain. 
did you see those conflicts within each individual? Do we all have kind of both of those sides? I think most of the women I interviewed encapsulated all of that, actually. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it would challenge my own assumptions. So I've invited somebody into the project because I think they're going to have loads of really juicy, sexy stories. And I'll say, well, you know, how did you get like this? How did you become such such a sexually empowered woman? How are you having all these orgasms? And she'll say, well, I was raped when I was 16 and then I wanted to learn to turn my life around. It was was amazing how many different layers there were to stories. Mm. I think that's what's so interesting about actually a lot of the time we don't realise how much of what we feel our place in the world is is intimately connected to how we feel about our body and and certain parts of us because... We just yeah. we just don't sort of recognise that. Did you see similar conflicts with men and their and their penises? That level of those dynamics. So with men, I didn't feel like the reveal is to themselves. I felt like the reveal was to me. I was a woman inviting them to a mm. safe space, professional space, to talk about what being a man is like, and to show people what normal penises look like. Because you know, a lot of men and women they, they get their ideas about what bodies look like from porn. Yeah. So we're all we're all looking at the same kind of examples. Um, that affects men too. But cocks are pretty front and centre. You know, mm. men know what they look like. They can see their own quite easily, unlike women. And they can see each other's in changing rooms and urinals, even if they're not really supposed to look. So I, I think that there wasn't the same kind of mystery about the body part, but there were different types of shame. There were, there were all kinds of surprising angles to body image anxiety that I'd never thought of, but a lot about penis size and performance anxiety. Men seem to feel like they need to be enough. It's about being tall enough and big enough and hung enough and rich enough. It's about occupying a lot of space in this world, being successful enough. And for women, it's it's kind of the opposite. Women don't want to occupy too much space. They're worried about being too fat. It's too everything, too mm. saggy, too hairy. God forbid, hair on nipples mm. or hair on labia. You know, yeah, that's a big sweeping generalisation. That's not true for, for everybody, but it's kind of what I was yeah. left with at, at the end. And a lot of the women in womanhood kind of talk about sex and things like putting up with mediocre sex and faking orgasms and feeling like they're there to perform. Mm. And almost as we're talking about pubic hair then, that kind of is making me think there's a performative element there. You're actively thinking, how am I presenting myself mm. sexually or, or just in general to Mm -hmm. the world was that a thing oh my goodness I can't believe I forgot that before yeah well spotted (laughs) that is one of the really really big differences Mm. between manhood and womanhood so men do have a performance anxiety but they do not perform like women sex is so performative for women it is so common so many women are having you know frankly mediocre sex Let's not even go into the bad sex that's a whole different conversation um, or assault but yeah just not very good sex, kind of keeping the peace sex, keeping things ticking over sex, or always tried quite hard, so I'm going to pretend to have an orgasm and finish it sex. There's a lot. And I related to a lot of it. I think I waltzed through my teens and 20s faking Mm. many orgasms. So many women will know the feeling where you are with a man, you're looking into each other's eyes. I'm specifically talking about heterosexual here, Mm. having sex. And then you think, how do I look through his eyes? Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder whether that does then affect our, you know, again, in the book, it's about your relationship with that particular body part and why you feel a certain way. And actually whether because we as young girls aren't taught to have a relationship or understand, have knowledge of our Mm. genitals, we only understand it through other people's eyes, through male eyes, through heterosexual eyes often. Did you get a sense that there was a difference between the men and women in terms of how much knowledge they had of their own genitals? Oh, yes. 
Absolutely. I mean, there were a lot of women who hadn't looked at themselves before. There is also a very beautiful angle to this. I'm going to kind of misuse the term male gaze because mm. it gets a really bad rep. But there were a number of women who talked about how they'd come to appreciate their vulva through the lover kneeling in front of them and looking. Mm. So actually, there's so much we can do to make our partner feel good about themselves by looking and appreciating. But I think what young women hear, you know, playground talk, is that women are hairy, smelly, fishy. And actually, you know, any young woman who hears that in the playground from boys who probably haven't actually gone anywhere near a vulva yet... Mm will have that message reinforced when they walk through the feminine hygiene aisle of a supermarket too. Yeah. That Ugh. is the walk of shame. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the walk of shame. A whole aisle to tell you that there's yeah. a lot you need to do to yourself to make yourself acceptable. And the oh, irony being that a lot of those people who are grabbing things off the shelves probably don't even know what their current or normal is. And yet, and yeah. yet they're already being told to change it from whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. I was wondering, going through especially the vulva womanhood bare reality book Mm -hmm. and all of these women sharing their stories what like you gain from it and what you reclaim from it you know whether Mm. it be like you stop saying yes to bad sex not saying you have bad sex (laughs) oh my god no i have and i can tell you all about that if you want yes (laughs) yes but it was through their stories what you were reclaiming because i find Mm. with project pleasure the more i talk to people and the more stories i hear and i go actually my vagina isn't broken my vulva's perfectly Mm. fine like i am gonna reclaim certain things Mm -hmm. i was just wondering what those books gave back to you I have changed a lot through these three projects. It's been an arc, but womanhood probably changed me the most. So I said before, bare reality made me feel comfortable in my skin and I want Mm. to get to know men better. Womanhood left me feeling really powerful and I would love women and young women who read it to get some of that for themselves. I mean... I had the most intense conversations with 100 women about all the deep themes that come up. Sex, relationships, body image, pregnancy, miscarriage, infertility, loss, birth, menopause. I'm perimenopausal. I was fascinated to talk to older women about what it's like to go through menopause and come out the other end. We think of women as being finished Mm, when they're in the menopause. I'm having the best sex of my life in the perimenopause. By a long mile. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it changed me quite a lot, interviewing the women. I mean, one thing was I had some ridiculous, naive idea at the beginning that I'd have to look for women who'd been raped to make sure that story was included. Came across quite a lot of rape, yeah. just mm. accidentally interviewing women. And I didn't I didn't really realise how endemic sexual assault, grooming, violence and rape really was. This is not a full-scale nationwide quantitative survey, Mm, but mm. it came up a lot with 100 women. And it made me feel quite angry. And I think it's the most angry I've felt in my life, but in a very positive way. It's connected me to anger in a new way. I think there's a lot of things that have happened to me that I haven't felt angry about. And I think that's because we're taught anger's quite unpalatable in women. Yeah. And I think I had to feel angry on behalf of other women to learn how to feel angry for myself. I feel like mm. I've got clearer boundaries in life. I'm a bit more assertive. Some people who know me well might think I don't need that. But there are actually <laughs> lot, there are a lot of ways in which I haven't been assertive in life. That's been helpful. Mm. I felt a lot more tender about my own vulva, actually, because the first time I saw it on my Big Mac screen, I was like, oh, my God, there's a, lo- oh, there's a lot going on. Whoa, whoa. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, OK, it's pretty nice. Oh, that's better than I thought. Oh, it's quite pretty. Oh, she's pretty. Obviously, kind of a big part of the project is normalising all different kinds of body parts and showing that there is no normal. But I wonder if there's almost... Because there are some photos that you look at and you they are probably quite close to what you would, quote-unquote, say is the perfect 
vulva yes. or boobs or whatever. Yeah. And whether actually there's a pressure that comes with that as well. There was one man who's got a kind of big and sort of quite perfect straight penis and he's very aware that his penis is amazing and it will help him get laid and get appreciation, but he's hid behind it. He's had a lot yeah. of insecurities about his personality and he's oh, hidden behind uh, yeah. it. He says he uses his body as a shield. Mm. I think that happens. Yes, I mean, gosh, everybody can have different types of insecurities, but not everyone in these projects has insecurity. There are people who took part because they're pretty confident what they've got. That must be lovely. Did it kind of like rub off on you? Because you're around it and you see people accept themselves, you kind of go, oh, hang on, I'm not too dissimilar from that. There's nothing wrong with me. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a major it's a major purpose for the project. So I'd yeah. like especially young people to look at it and go, Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't realise breasts look like this or penises yeah. look like this, vulvas look like this. It just shows this big spectrum of normal. Mm. People have told me they found those photographs the most challenging, but then as they're reading it, they're finding the pictures more erotic as well and more accept more accepting and also more erotic because they're reading the stories. It's all about the person mm. behind the photo. Have you got any sort of stories from any of the books that have really stuck with you for any particular reason? There was an old woman in Bare Reality. She was 101. She's the oldest person in my project. Wow. And she she talked about her milk drying up when Hitler marched into Austria. She was an Austrian wow. Jew. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and her husband was taken on the night of Kristallnacht. Mm. And she has the most amazing story. She got her husband out. The woman who had FGM in womanhood, I gave her the last word. She's, I mean, she's fabulous. She's endured the most brutal violence that's inflicted on a woman's vulva. But she's really funny and really warm. And, you know, her life is such a success in so many ways. She's married, has a great sex life with her husband. But she spent most of her teens in and out of hospital with complications from FGM and she can't ever have children as a result. Yeah. And, of course, she had her clitoris cut off. She had the worst kind of FGM. She had everything cut off and sewn up so that the hole was the size of a matchstick but she now works as a sexual health nurse Mm. and goes into schools and and educates young people about vaginas she's called the vagina woman (laughs) and so how amazing that somebody that's come from that background and had that done to them is such a survivor and so inspirational Mm. yeah and she finishes the book saying you know hands off our vaginas they're ours this is mine and i love it and Mm. and that's the thing it's there's so many beautiful stories of hope and inspiration that can come out of pain. Mm. Laura, it's been an absolute pleasure. Where can people find more of you on social media? My Twitter is at Bear Reality and the website's lauradodsworth.com. Sex Hacks. Hey, we're Jenna Sinead, founders of The Sway, the bi-monthly pleasure package subscription service helping to spice up your sex life. And here are our three extra hot tips for using sex toys. So, tip one. Good vibes only. If you're going to introduce a toy into your sex life, make it a vibrator. It's the ultimate bedroom multitasker. Not only epic for masturbation, introducing a whole new kind of clitoral stimulation for us ladies, but also a killer addition to penetrative sex. And contrary to popular belief, vibes are also great for the lads. Hold the toy on the upper side of the penis shaft. The vibrations will arouse you faster and make more blood flow to the penis. You can even hold it against your cheek during oral sex or against his balls during, well, any act at all really. Tip two, come on in. The G-spot is a highly sensitive cluster of tissues located internally on the front wall of a vagina, about two inches up, although of course that varies from body to body. To explore this area, you're best off choosing a sleek toy with a deliberate curve to reach this little spot. Some have a bulbous head, some rotate, some pulsate, and some even thrust. Honestly, the possibilities for pleasure here are endless. Now there's no need for pussyfooting around here, literally. 
Since this area is surrounded by dense tissue and lies deep under your flesh, you might want to use a little more pressure than usual or even some extra motion from side to side to really hit the bullseye. Tip three, put a ring on it. Give cock rings a go. As far as sex toys go, I think cock rings have the most off-putting name and the worst rep. I for one only actually recently find out that they're pleasurable for both the wearer and the partner. Who knew? Placed over the shaft and sitting on the base of the penis, their main job is to constrict blood flow, which can enhance sensation, improve the strength of an erection and help you last longer. And if your partner has a clitoris, the vibrating rings are the one for you. Designed to wear on the partner's penis with the vibration section perfectly placed to rub the clitoris during penetrative sex. I mean, seriously, who wouldn't want to give that a go? Until next time, stay sexy, pleasure seekers. Spotlight on sex. So today feels like a pretty bumper edition of Spotlight on Sex because the two gorgeous women that are sat opposite me right now have put a spotlight on so many different issues over the last year or so, including period poverty, mental health, and now they're tackling female masturbation with the campaign Girls Rank 2. It's Grace Campbell and it's Honey Ross. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good. So you guys are part of the pink protest yeah, and you have this campaign, Girls Rank 2. Why? Why did you start this? Um, well, it's kind of like a, it's not necessarily a campaign because there's not a law that we're trying to change sure. in that sense. It's more of a movement. It was inspired by conversations that we were having last year about the fact that I started talking about it when I found out that one of my best friends has never had an orgasm and she's been in a relationship for a lot of her life. And then I was like thinking about the fact that I've, wanked literally from such a young age when I was like five six years old but there are so many women who never learn about it never do it therefore some of them don't know how to experience orgasms and are losing out on great sex great pleasure so Scarlett's just brought out this book called Feminist Don't Wear Pink and my essay in it is called The Female Wank, but female is crossed out. And it's that thing of like, you know, we call it female masturbation the same way we call female football, female mm. football. It's just football. Yeah. It's yeah. just masturbation. Mm. But because it's so out of context for a woman to masturbate, we have to put the female in front of it. I wonder why men have this relationship with their bodies that women feel like they can't have. Like, I didn't start masturbating until I was 19. Like, I didn't think it was for me. I honestly remember... I didn't know what female masturbation was until I was 18. I thought it was genuinely something only boys could do. Mm. And I feel like that's the double narrative. It's either that story or it's I'm kind of the same as you, Grace, that I, I was, like, doing it from a very young age and in my own little space was like, well, this is nice. I'm perfectly happy with what I'm doing. But, like, any mention of it in the outside world, I genuinely didn't think anyone else knew what that was. We see so many images images growing up of male sexuality and I was wanked at by a man when I was 13 years old on the mm. tube so I was very aware that men wank mm. in a very visceral visual way we never ever ever see that we never hear it you know at school I have two brothers there was always a conversation that boys would get to a certain age and they'd get these urges and they'd start acting out on them and there was just never that conversation for women when i was in sex education in about year five boys were split up from the girls and taken into another room to talk about masturbation well as the girls were taken into another room to talk about periods like how are those things equivalent and i remember the only mention of female masturbation and female pleasure was my teacher like trying to like trojan horse it in and be like um by the way, you have a clitoris and if you touch it, it feels nice. And we were like, what? And she was like, nothing. And then I remember we, you know, all went out onto the playground after that and talked about it. And we were like, 
what was that thing she was saying about female masturbation? <laughs> like, and I obviously at the time was masturbating and anyone was like, well, has anyone done it? And I was like, Ugh, no, like God, never. And that was how all of us reacted because we were kind of so scared of being ostracized from the group. And also like when you, I used to nanny loads and boys and girls when they're toddlers do just like hump things and touch themselves. It's just a natural thing. It's like, if you've got an itch, mm. you, you scratch it and they do that. And I've seen so many occasions where for boys doing it, it's like, oh, oh, oh look at Charles. Oh, just, oh, just, just being a boy. Look at him developing his mouth. And oh. then if it's a girl, it's like, Sophie, stop doing that. Yeah. You know, like, that's so embarrassing. Yeah. Girl, you know, we experience that. We may not remember those experiences, but we feel them. And then we pick up on the fact that us even putting our hands anywhere near there is disgusting and shameful plug Scarlett's book again but Liv Little has written an unbelievably good mm. essay in it about the relationship with her vulva and how she didn't look at it for so long because men that she slept with shamed her for like what it looked like some women literally get to their like mid 50s having never actually looked down there and mm. seen what's there and that's another shame it's mm. like it's part of our body especially around the time we were kind of promoting the movement I was posting a lot about vibrators and things like that and I would get messages from women going, oh yeah, so I've got this vibrator that you've recommended and I'm having trouble kind of getting out, you know, at work, and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, have you tried like looking down there, like taking a peek, you know, re like just actually placing it somewhere else? And a lot of women were like, oh my God, I've actually never looked at my vagina before and my vulva, I've never seen it. I don't know what the situation is. And these women who were a lot older than me, women in their 30s, women in their 40s, and I was like, wow. But what was your first experience with masturbation like? Terrible because of the shame. I, I, I saw Kim Kardashian's sex tape when I was like young in primary school. Like stumbled across it's it or so went searching? Bad. Someone at primary school, we were at her house after school and like we Not were on, on, on the internet. No, I wish. Um, <laughs> me and Chris. Just with Kimmy. Just with yeah, Kimmy. having a wank, having a group wank. Um, <laughs> and, and we saw it and it was like, you know just so explicit and then I went home and masturbated for the first time and then I was like I'm a freak I'm disgusting and I kept doing it but I kept I always had it always was sort of paralleled with this horrible feeling of guilt and that's only something that since we've been doing this work I've been able to like get rid of the the shame that I would feel and how like just gross do you know what I mean mm. it was like I'd done a horrible horrible thing to someone I remember I used to, like, I would masturbate and then I'd be like, right, that's it, not again until marriage. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, I was like and then I'd do it again, I'd be like, oh, you've messed it up again, honey. Like, I was like, yo. And, like, but I remember the first time I masturbated, it took so long because I had no idea. I was, like, yeah. prodding different bits and be like, will that do something? And then I'd be like, oh, hit something good. And then the first time I wanked because I was so afraid to touch my own vagina. You wore vulva. gloves. <laughs> I wore gloves. <laughs> Kitchen gloves. No, I, um, I dry humped a pillow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do that all the time. I didn't know that was a thing until we started this podcast. I used yeah. to do that all the time. And I had this teddy bear. And then mm. it was so funny because my mum found this teddy bear the other day. Oh, no. She was like, do you want it? I was like, get rid of it. Toby the teddy. That's yeah. totally normal. And it's like that sort of shame that we would have felt is just so sad. The most important thing about pleasure is our our relationship with our own pleasure because we're taught to think that heterosexual sex, and I am a straight person, 
ends when the man comes. Mm. So when I started having sex, I always thought, oh, when he comes, that's the end of it. And my pleasure is kind of like a byproduct. But if it doesn't happen, then that's not really the it's, goal it's that we're, we're trying to anyway. reach. Yeah. And and we women in particular, but like everyone, but like we need to address the fact that our own pleasure is the most important thing. So we can come to sex knowing that we have our own goals and our own wants and they're actually selfish. Also, sorry, coming from a perspective of like educating women about female masturbation, masturbation, it, it was really interesting at the panel we held on this, you know, we had um, Starmy Sunday there and she said something so interesting about it's actually really important to teach young girls about masturbation because it's a really safe way to experience pleasure. You know, it's so much safer to be able to rely on yourself and go like, I can make myself feel good, I can do this on my own and I don't need to rely on someone who might be it be a toxic yeah. situation i thought that was such a good such point yeah. that that young girls well or we should all know how to please ourselves because then we won't risk getting into situations that are dangerous and you know can mess up our mental health totally i think though there's this like around masturbation people seem to think you only masturbate if you're not having sex it's like kind of like a desperate yeah. thing why do you think there's this message around masturbation? I think that's maybe not to be too like, but I think maybe that's a male ego thing because mm. it's like, oh, God forbid a woman's having a nice time on her own while she's like, you know, I think it's that thing of maybe feeling a bit threatened by the fact that a woman doesn't necessarily need a man to make her feel good and that she's doing it at all times, even when she's with you. Totally, I agree. I think especially if you're in a relationship and like men find out that you're masturbating, they're like, well, why am I not giving you mm. enough? And it's like that double standard is something that we've never really addressed again because this is such a new conversation around the fact that women masturbate. Do you masturbate in front of a partner? Is that something that you're kind of happy to do or is that like so separate? No, that is that is something that, you know, I, mm. I do do. I think but... it's important to do so you can teach your partner about your body. I completely agree, but I also think sometimes, and I, I'm I'm saying this because I'm completely guilty of this, there's a little bit of a performative element in it oh, yeah, like no. I know for sure if I actually masturbated in front of someone the way I actually do it'd probably be quite boring do you know what I mean like I'm not it's not actually that exciting to watch so if I if I know that someone's there I'm gonna I might amp it but up it is, it's kind of, of like I always use the analogy that when like someone does like when someone's going down on you or like giving you a really bad like fingering job can you call that a hand job <laughs> Yeah, what, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I love the term fingering job fingering job that. yeah okay so when someone's like <laughs> licking you out or whatever and they just don't know what they're doing it's like watching someone try and cook a meal in your kitchen and they don't know where <laughs> anything is and they're like and fumbling they're, like, around why not save the time mm. and say look this this is what i like because we all have different desires and yeah. especially if, if you're you know seeing someone who's been in like a long-term relationship with someone else they have a completely different map of what that person's yeah. vagina looks feels wants yeah and so why not just say yeah. this is kind of how i want it and you're not gonna know what those things are unless you know for sure like exactly. i learned something recently and i always kind of knew this was a thing in the back of my head but this is a really good way of putting it that your clitoris has a clit clock you'll probably have more of like a right-handed or a left-handed clit yeah. shut so, up like, mine I, is left-handed Right, mine is left-handed. I and I am left-handed. Absolutely left well. nothing on the right. Like if you you can I carry on for as long as you want, nothing is gonna happen. Also, I have this really weird thing. Yeah, on the left side of my thigh, like here. Literally, if I'm having sex and you so much as like touch or tickle it, I come. It's like I the nerve endings here. <laughs> 
I'm it's like, so weird. There's something yeah. there that like, and so when I'm getting a wax here, it's so painful. And this side, nothing. nothing. With masturbation on your own, like you discover these things about yourself. Like the back of my neck is freakishly sensitive in the same way I imagine like, like it's like really like by my hairline. It's so weird. The idea of the female orgasm is quite daunting for a lot of women. I think especially if you've had like so many people, so many women, you have a very daunting, unsatisfactory sexual experiences with other people. And you kind of think, well, maybe that's just not something I'm capable of doing. And especially that is something we're taught throughout our lives that it's so hard to make a girl come mm. the whole thing. And it's like, so many women and I think we had that at the panel of some women being like I've never been able to make myself do that and I think it's quite scary being like well what if I'm one of the women who can't it's also like a journey and you know now I'm at a point where I'm like one of those really annoying people who I literally come every time I have sex it, it might take you like a really long time to get comfortable with the fact that you know how to do it and therefore mm. you're gonna like tell someone else because I think even if you do masturbate a lot of us I was for sure for years are really scared of like shaming a man because they mm. have such sensitive egos mm. of being like mm, you're not doing it right mm. because you don't want to then they'll get upset or defensive and be like oh well I was just about to do that mm. so actually <laughs> yeah. shut up yeah. like I know yeah. your vagina better than you know your vagina <laughs> I when I started making films I started developing when I was like 18 started developing this documentary about porn and I in interviewed loads of my male friends from mm. school about porn and their relationship with masturbation and all of that stuff and they told me that until like not 18 but like a certain age a lot of boys I'm sure that it was them as well but they were being like no just boys we know would sit and wank together <laughs> watching yeah. the same porn film for sure and fair enough mm. but that was so far away from anything that we mm. could have had at that age yeah we weren't even talking about wanking, but they mm. were doing it together. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's mad. And also on the flip side, that's probably why the one area where women are slightly ahead sexually is sex toys, because we yeah. can see masturbation as, as a very personal, like, sensual thing, whereas yeah. because for men it is framed as this quite, like, oh, masculine, aggressive, blah, 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 they can't have this, like, intimate moment with themselves I with the sex toy. I got into a bit of a... Not a ruckus, heated debate last night with two men I know because I was saying that we've got these like new male sex toys being sent to us that by Tenga and they're yeah, great. Yeah. And like the guys I was were like, we, we don't need that. Like we're fine as we are. Like what 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 are you trying to like just do? What are you trying to say? And I was like, using a sex toy doesn't make your masturbation any different. I don't know why you're getting so upset about it. And they were like, frankly, we're fine. Stop pushing this sex toy at us. And I was like, I'm really not. Yeah, like, they take use, it so personally. I, I use sex toys all the time. I use sex toys with one of you. Like, I don't understand <laughs> why you're so upset by this. Yeah. Well, I find it so weird when it's like, if you know you could enhance your sexual experience, if you get really good at masturbation and like, I, like, I have loads of sex toys and I'm like, ooh, it's Tuesday. I'm going to use this one. You know what I mean? It's like, why not make your personal sex life Life more exciting like people try you talk about people spicing up their relationships all the time why not spice up your relationship with yourself get really good at masturbation use interesting fun lubes on yourself on your own like that's like, another mm, great thing that, yeah like, we should all talk about is yeah. how amazing lube is yeah, masturbating yeah. like change my absolute revolution i don't really use it life. 
it literally changed, it changed my life. Yeah, I started recently just to like mix it up, and I was like, damn, this it's, is this it's is the thing about constant exploration. The, like, it just makes yeah, yeah, it just makes it much easier to start as well. Mm. I find because it sort of turns me on more when it's <laughs> if you're on a time time constraint, you're like, yeah. right, come on, we'll get yeah, to the I've moment. Got two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it really yeah. does trick you into thinking <laughs> okay. you're sort of really turned on. Where can we find you guys and the Pink Protest and everything on social media? Instagram Pink Protest. I'm Disgrace Campbell. Honey Kinney, K-I-N-N-Y, not E-Y. Pillow Talk. Pillow Talk. Joining us for Pillow Talk today is Africa Brooke, a writer, mindset coach, speaker and founder of the Cherry Revolution. So many things what going a, on there. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the Cherry Revolution and how that started. Yes, of course. So the Cherry Revolution is my sexual wellness company. And it's a movement that is very, very, very close to my vulva and my heart. Because (laughs) I I love this talk already. Because it's something that was born out of a lot of sexual shame that I was holding. Just to give you a little bit of context, I got sober in 2016 after nearly a decade of destructive drinking. So I would blackout every single time that I drank and I was a binge drinker I couldn't have just one and this was how it was from the first ever time that I drank when I was 14 up until I stopped at 24 and with that with the way that I was drinking I was suppressing a lot of sexual shame sexual shame that only manifested when I was drunk in the form of casual sex in the form of disconnected relationships with men I truly believe that my body was simply a tool for men to experience pleasure so I never gave myself the chance to get to know my own sexuality and because I also held a lot of shame when it came to self-pleasure masturbation because of an incident that happened when I was six years old when my mum quote unquote, caught me rubbing my vulva onto the corner of a couch. Because I I think people sometimes forget that with children, you're not doing anything wrong. You're mm. just simply exploring your body. And then you think, oh, something feels good. And you kind of explore it even further. That's what I was doing. But on that day, I learned that there was something wrong with my sexuality, something wrong with my pleasure. And that was put into a box. And that box started holding a lot of shame when Mm. it came to intimacy, when it came to pleasure in general, even non-sexual pleasure. So by the time I got sober, when I was 24, I had to open that box again and start dealing with those things. And it was very uncomfortable, very painful. But it led me on a journey of finding out about my body, finding out more about myself, finding out about just how my body works in a way that was never taught in school, in a way that I never saw representation for. And because porn was also my first teacher, (laughs) Mm. like many people, it just added to what was happening. But then I started reading, I started taking all this information to my friends, sharing the information. And although that was amazing to be able to have people to talk to about these things, I realized that once the lunch or wherever we were was finished, the conversations would be over. So I started the Cherry Revolution as a way to open up conversations for anyone else dealing with sexual shame. And nearly two years later, it's taken a life of its own and I hope to make it global. It must have felt like a very solo thing to you. Like Mm. you must have felt like this is just me and I'm ashamed. Especially because sex education in schools is sex is dirty, it's Mm -hmm. wrong, you will catch an STD Mm. and you will get pregnant and it will be awful and shameful. Mm. Was that kind of a sex education in school as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't even 
really remember my sex education, to be honest. But the thing is, I had already been learning from porn from the age of 10. So the messages were very conflicting. So even if I did get sex education in school, I would have felt like I know more already. I've already been exposed to so much more. And then in my family home, there was just no intimacy, whatever. Mm. I remember all the adults in my family, anytime a kissing scene would come on, they'd be dancing in front of the TV, Mm. kind of covering everything up. And that also confused me as a child and it confuses a lot of people. But because I was starting to come to an age where I could feel that my body would react to things in a certain way, I started to be attracted to, to people. I explored that. So I started having sex very, very young. But the thing is, when you're still being sexually intimate and you're holding a lot of shame, you do become very disconnected to your own body. Yeah, you do. Right. And you you said before about especially maybe those early sexual encounters and this Mm -hmm. idea of men actually just using your body as a masturbation tool, which is a really kind of visceral image, actually, but it says a lot. Is it only with hindsight that you can see that that was what was happening? Or how did you feel in the moment? I think hindsight, for sure, because in the moment, I'd already normalised that. I think on a deeper intuition level, I could feel that something was off. For example, after the sex, silence. You can feel the awkwardness. Those things are usually the signs most of us ignore because we are made to think that after casual sex, there should be no intimacy, there should be... No connection. No connection, no respect even. Mm. But once it starts to happen over and over again, to some degree, you normalise it and you ignore your intuition. And because... It's very counterintuitive, but I thought that was the only way to get connection. So it's definitely in hindsight that I can see because I've worked through those things intensively for the past three years. But at the time when they were happening for a decade, I I began to normalise that discomfort. And away from those men when you were kind of on your own, Mm. how did you feel about your body and your relationship with it then? Was it just kind of complete indifference or was it kind of an active hate or distrust I think indifference Mm. indifference for sure I didn't even think about it I didn't even really think about my body unless I was feeling aroused and it was actually just to have an orgasm it was never some kind of more profound experience of me appreciating my own body it was just to have an orgasm I wouldn't even look at my vulva my vagina I hadn't even seen it in that kind of way, kind of up close. But I I just thought my body, especially when it came to intimacy, was for partners, not for me. When did you start claiming back your pleasure? It was a year after I got sober. Because I got sober in a relationship. I was in a long-term relationship at the time. We actually met when I was still drinking. And because my sexual expression and desire only came out when I was drinking, in our relationship when we met, sex was happening pretty much all the time because I would orchestrate situation where I could drink so I could be expressive without shame. So what happened when I took away the alcohol? No sex was happening. And as most women and non-binary people tend to do, we internalise that and blame ourselves. Yeah, we do. You know, we we think there's something wrong with us because we're not giving sex. Not that we're we're not being a part of sex. We're not Mm. giving sex. So... It started to get quite resentful in that relationship in a very passive aggressive way, not really talking about what's actually happening, but kind of me holding back intimacy or my partner feeling like I was holding back intimacy, etc. So when it was about a year later, 
after me getting sober, that's when I realised that I had much, much deeper things to start working through. And that's when I started reading and just exploring things about my psychology and just my body itself, how arousal works on a very scientific level. Because I realised that through all the texts that we're exposed to, female pleasure is censored that it sounds so huge when you yeah. say it yeah. like that like where do you even start on that first day almost yeah. do, you, do you remember what that was like kind of just thinking okay I need to practically do something about this the first practical thing that I did was to order a book so if anyone listening to this loves to read I would highly recommend a book by Sherry Winston called Women's Anatomy of Arousal and that is the book that completely changed my life because what I realised was Sometimes when we talk about pleasure and healing from it, we sometimes like to give a quick fix solution. So some people might say masturbate, etc, etc. But it's very difficult to do that from an authentic place when you're feeling shame. So sometimes it's good to just have resources without even being sexual to begin Mm. with. Just start to read other people's stories, read articles, get a book, watch talks. That kind of thing is actually what I did before I started pushing myself to feel pleasure physically. I want to talk about you exploring your body for you as a sexual thing. And also the first time you kind of like looked at your vulva and was like, hey, here it is. This is what (laughs) gives me joy and pleasure. And how you kind of battled your relationship with seeing it as that instead of something that's shameful and should be hidden. So after I got that book, there was this exercise from that book, which said the best way to really know your body, especially your pleasure body, your vulva, is to get a mirror so that you can actually look at it. And it recommended getting like a paddle mirror, like a very big one, so you can see yourself. So I went into Amazon. I always say it's the best £5.62 that I've ever <laughs> seen. I know the figure. Yeah. <laughs> so I got this mirror, like a salon paddle mirror, and I would just sit and look at myself. And it was very awkward to begin with. I just didn't like my body, and I realised just how much I was holding a lot of shame and hate for it. But I would do that every other night without touching myself, just looking. And I remember doing that for about three months every other day. Sometimes I would take a break for about four days, etc. But I committed to looking at myself before just closing my eyes and touching and hoping something amazing happens to actually just look. And that changed a lot of things for me as well. And then I started introducing touch as well, kind of just like playing with my labia and just really seeing myself. At the time as well, I was still waxing. I don't, now I grow my hair, so I could actually really see everything. When you first saw it in that Amazon paddle mirror, (laughs) what was your first thought? My first thought was that it was ugly. I thought my lips were too big and... Again, because I had been putting all of these ideals because of porn. I've been watching porn for a very, very long time. And all you see in porn is very, quote unquote, neatly tucked in vulvas. All of that stuff really makes an imprint in your mind. So if there is anything different from that, you think, oh, what's going on here? So I really thought, okay, this is not something that I want to see. And then I started feeling shame because I'd had sex with a lot of people and I'd had sex with people that wanted to give me oral sex, but I couldn't even enjoy that because my mind was just telling me that it's not right, being worried about how I taste, how I smell, all of that kind of stuff. But seeing it visually, 
I was able to really normalize the fact that there isn't one vulva that looks the same as another. There mm. just isn't. That's why I continued to look at myself because I was very committed to undoing those thinking patterns. You said that you used to wax and you don't yes, anymore. Was that was like a conscious very, part of the process? Yes, a very conscious thing. It was something I would do all the time. If hair started to grow back I would go and wax or I would shave if I couldn't make it etc but then because I am someone that always asks questions I really started to ask myself where is this coming from is this my decision do I even want to do this because I know deep down I don't want to do this why does no one talk about what happens on day two when you're so, when you're itchy and it's Mate. so no one talks about <laughs> I feel it even yeah. now. <laughs> it's not comfortable, guys. <laughs> so, because I started asking myself all of those questions, and again, I didn't rush anything, mm. and I didn't judge myself for doing it, and you really shouldn't. But I realized that for me personally, to feel authentic pleasure, I need to be doing everything for myself. That's the only way I can feel authentic pleasure. And because I knew that for me to be waxed and shaven, it wasn't actually for me. Again, I was doing something for my partner. It was not for me. Regardless of how much I wanted I wanted to dress it up and say, <laughs> no, it's just a... It wasn't for me. And that didn't help me experience the kind of pleasure I wanted to experience. Because now, when I have my hair, knowing that I've worked through the relationship with accepting my labia, I'm able to experience a deeper orgasm because I'm fully connected to what I see. But if I was still, let's say I've accepted my labia, but I look in the mirror and I see that I'm shaven when I don't really want to be, I won't experience an orgasm as I do now, if yeah. that makes sense. How do you feel about your body now that you've gone on this journey and, and how do you feel like you connect with pleasure? I feel that I connect with pleasure in a way that I never have before. I feel like it's less performative. Mm. So, some aspects of it for sure are still performative mm. because I, I see it show up when I have sex with my partner. But the difference is we talk about those things. But the conditioning runs so deep because I've only been only been doing this work for the past two and a half years so I have 24 years of conditioning to undo so of course the patterns still show up you know if we're having sex and I arch my body in a certain way knowing that I'm not really feeling <laughs> anything like actually who is this for mm. and then I unpack that a little bit maybe not in that moment but after it Am I right in thinking that you have kind of introduced mindfulness and tantric sex into yeah. your life as well? Has that yes. helped you really kind of get in touch with your body as well? 100%. Mm. And that book that I was talking about is pretty much kind of based on tantric teachings. And the reason why tantra has been very important for me is because I was used to having very pretty much porn hardcore sex which was very disconnected I didn't think that I deserve sensuality when you first started on this journey of mindfulness was mm -hmm. it is it difficult of course which is why actually I'm very grateful for the mantra that I came up with right at the beginning of cherry revolution which is death to faking it because that that was actually the mantra and the statement that actually started the movement because now every time I experience intimacy with a partner and I feel myself getting into performance I swear that's what comes into my head death to faking it it's not even just about sex I mm. now that I've d discovered that however whatever I'm like in sex is how I am in real life which I think is 
the reason why I find sex energy so important because it's not about penetration and the act itself. It's about how you navigate the world. We're told that we need to play small. We can't be demanding. We have to be quiet. We have to be mindful in the in, not in the right <laughs> yeah. type of mindful. Be mindful about what we say. So when I started the Death to Faking It project, I realized that the reasons why women fake orgasms it's so nuanced. It's not a case of just tell him, mm. like just or just tell just tell them that why I think it's very important to teach pleasure from a very very young age and to teach consent in a non-sexual context yeah Africa thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me where can we find you on social media so you can find me on big bad Instagram at Africa Brook which is where I talk about holistic self-development and kind of women in business that kind of stuff and if you want to hear me talk about sexual wellness and just really getting into it it's at Cherry Revolution Thank you so much for joining us on the penultimate episode of Project Pleasure. Please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast with all of your pals. We are on Twitter and Instagram at pro underscore pleasure and just make sure you're back here in in two weeks time because um, it will be the last episode of series two. I'm going to cry. That's like the second half of this series is just me tearing up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nothing changes. We'll see you in two weeks. (laughs) Bye. Love you. Bye. Transmission Roundhouse.